When Fianna Fáil leader Micheál Martin took the title of Taoiseach from Fianna Gael leader Leo Varadkar last summer, Varadkar was at least able to look forward to taking the top job back 18 months later, in December 2022, under the terms of that historic coalition agreement. But the best laid plans can sometimes go awry. There is a rather large fly in the ointment, which is basically that that's something that Leo Varadkar did in 2019, the last time he was Taoiseach, is the, the subject of an ongoing Garda investigation, which has been itself ongoing since late 2020 and is now underway for such a long time that people are questioning whether it will still be active when he's due to take up the reins in the Taoiseach's office. Now, Varadkar's political opponents are saying if the case isn't wrapped up soon, he shouldn't become Taoiseach in December. Yes, I would have concerns about that and I don't think it would be appropriate if a person was still under investigation. Leo Varadkar says he's done nothing illegal and that the complaints against him are politically motivated. Those are false allegations. Uh, They're allegations made by political opponents um, who uh, are somewhat obsessed by me. This is in the news from the Irish Times. I'm Conor Pope. Today, could Leo's leak really end his political career? Jack Horgan-Jones is a political reporter with the Irish Times. Jack, can we go back to the beginning of this story? How and when did it all start? So it's a long and rather involved story, so so bear with me. It goes back to, in the first instance, something that Leo Varadkar did uh, when he was Taoiseach in April of 2019. That thing that he did didn't come to light until October 31st, 2020, when a story appeared in Village magazine saying that Varadkar had given a copy of an agreement between the state and the Irish medical organisation, the doctor's representative body, Mm. to a gentleman called Matthew O'Toole. My name is Dr. Matthew O'Toole and I'm the president of the National Association of General Practitioners. A GP and president of the National Association of General Practitioners. Now, we get a little bit people's front of Judea around this at this stage, but yeah, of course. what we need to know really here is that the Irish Medical Organisation, which would be the kind of larger and main organisation representing doctors, and the NAGP were kind of at each other's throats for some time over this in competition for members. And the IMO was party to this deal that was under negotiation with uh, the Department mm. of Health, while the NAGP was not. A landmark agreement that will transform and reform the health system. That's how the Minister for Health described a new GP contract that will increase funding by €210 million in the next four years. Now, the story, uh, which was correct, stated that Varadkar passed a copy of this deal to Matthew O'Toole, uh, who was an acquaintance of the then Taoiseach and a friend of his partner, Matt Barrett. Okay. And when news of this leak emerged, how did Leo Varadkar respond? In the first instance, it seems that he did nothing. Uh, He did nothing for a few hours after the magazine published its story. But during that time, there was a a kind of drumbeat of controversy building. And eventually that afternoon, after publication of the story, he issued a lengthy statement, which, while simultaneously admitting the core allegation that he had passed the, uh, the the document in question to Matthew O'Toole, also contended that the Village magazine was inaccurate and defamatory. But that wasn't enough to get this off the, off the pitch because in the days that followed, the political pressure grew around it and ultimately he was forced to apologise for what he did. And I am sorry for the controversy and the annoyance that my actions have caused, including to members of the medical profession, members of the IMO, 
my colleagues in government and to the House. But he said any suggestion that he had anything to gain personally was false and deeply offensive. He survived a motion of no confidence in the doll, but he came through it certainly bruised. There were people within his own party and to a greater extent within Fianna Fáil who felt that they had been asked to effectively throw themselves on this political grenade in a manner in which most other ministerial scalps would have been claimed. And it was only by virtue of the fact that Varadkar was the Tonishta and therefore his political survival was linked to the political survival of the coalition that he had survived and anyone else would have been gone in similar circumstances. So after he did survive this vote of no confidence in the doll, was that the end of the affair? Far from it. Although it may have drawn a political line under under the, the controversy, in the short term, there has been since then uh, at least one, if not two, complaints to the Gardaí about the act of passing the document to the NAGP and an investigation by the Garda National Bureau of Criminal Investigation has followed. Uh, and that investigation itself has brought in, obviously, Varadkar himself, who was interviewed last April, but also Simon Harris, who was the Minister for Health at the time, and several other senior officials in the Department of Health. And it, it remains ongoing to this day. Why was that agreement important? Why did it matter that Leo Varadkar gave it to O'Toole? This is kind of the whole crux of the matter. Firstly, we have to address the question, which I suppose in some ways is still outstanding and relates to what the Guardian are investigating themselves. We have to address the question of whether the deal would have conferred an advantage on the recipient. And there's a huge amount of colourful text messages that were leaked to Village from an inner sanctum NAGP WhatsApp or text message group, which show that when O'Toole obtained this document and posted a picture of it, there was jubilation. And, you know, he was congratulated by fellow senior members of the NAGP saying that, you know, they they couldn't wait to establish how to use this. They were impressed he managed to secure it. Mm. And there's all this kind of colourful verbiage from Amatio O'Toole saying things like, to be fair, Leo always delivers. Now, that wasn't the end of it. There was a lot of conjecture, which has followed over the degree to which Leo Varadkar did or didn't deliver for Machu Tool and also Machu Tool's closeness to other figures in Fine Gael. Subsequent stories uh, citing text messages alleged that he had, you know, access to Pascal Donoghue and Simon Harris as well. Much or all of this has been substantially denied. So clearly there was a sense, you know, within the NAGP when this uh, deal fell into their laps that they were pleased about it. Against that has to be balanced much that the fact that much of the deal was in the public domain already at this stage. Our colleague Martin Wall had reported parts of it, that the, the, the main moving parts of it and the main points had in fact been published, although the entire deal hadn't been. And details were known to many hundreds of doctors, uh, family doctors around the country. So while we can certainly say there was a procedural sin in what Varadkar did, I think the, the question of a concrete advantage being gleaned from having early access to the full deal, that's not as clear cut. That's still up for debate. And, and it is, in fact, one of the kind of central things that is being looked at as part of the investigation. Now, the investigation has been going on for a long time. Do we know what stage it's at now? We know that it's it's still within on Garda Shiakano, which means that they haven't actually made a decision as to whether to 
pass it on to the director of public prosecutions, uh, whether that would be with a recommendation to charge, with a recommendation not to proceed with the charge, or with no recommendation at all. And I think that it's hard to kind of disentangle the length of this Garda investigation from the politics of it. There's a huge amount of pressure and attention on it, so you could have you would have to imagine that the investigating Gardaí know that their work is going to be very closely watched and scrutinized not only by their superiors within the force during the actual investigation stage itself but also afterwards uh, if there is if and when there is inevitably political fallout no matter what the outcome is you know all their work is going to be uh, at the center of that fallout in addition to that there have been reports that you know during the course of the investigation people have come forward with additional information which of course creates an obligation on the Gardaí to investigate that further. And there's been uh, further uh, allegations by Matthew O'Toole that he's been the subject of blackmail um, attempts. Uh, he made a complaint to Angarda Shikana alleging that at one stage, which was not further investigated. So there, it has been a fraught, complex and politically charged process. And it may be a longer process still, because once the guards make that decision, as to what kind of referral to make to the DPP if they, uh, the DPP itself has to make a decision about one, what to do next. So we're moving from a position whereby this was a political controversy that was dogging Leo Varadkar as Tanishta, but everyone presumed would have a line drawn under it, no matter what the outcome would be before he uh, assumed the office of Taoiseach to uh, one where we're looking at the, the strong possibility that it's actually still going to be ongoing at the time when he's due to take up the reins again in the Taoiseach's office, which is in the middle of December this year. One of the words that keeps cropping up in this investigation, Jack, is corruptly. Could you maybe outline what is meant by that in this context? So this is important and it it comes back to uh, something that we addressed earlier on, which is whether anyone stood to gain from the leak. The initial suggestion was that Varadkar could have breached the Official Secrets Act, something that he denied and uh, effectively said, if the Taoiseach cannot decide when to make a document public or to share a document, who else can? Now that that storm passed, and it seems that the Garda investigation actually relates to the Criminal Justice Corruption Offences Act 2018. And there is a kind of double lock around proving or suggesting that someone was guilty of a crime under that act. And it's worth reading out the precise part of the legislation, which states that confidential information obtained in the course of his or her office, employment, position or business for the purpose of corruptly obtaining a gift, consideration or advantage for himself or herself or for any other person. Now, once we get past the kind of dense legalese of that and get down to the core of it, Mm. why that matters is because the guards, they don't just have to prove the act itself. It seems that they also have to prove that the corrupt intent or that some kind of quid pro quo existed, that someone stood to gain corruptly from this matter, which is not as simple as just saying someone did something has to be, they did it for this reason and knowingly. What do the people you've spoken to think about the prospects that it might all end up in a prosecution or even a conviction for Leo Varadkar? So because of that that high bar that has to be met, that kind of double lock, most people that myself and other journalists in the Irish Times have spoken to over the course of this investigation are of the view that it isn't likely that a charge will follow and it isn't likely that if a charge were to follow a corruption would be arrived at but i think it's important to to 
to point out at this stage that is that is merely punditry we're not playing with a full hand here we don't know mm. the inner details of what has been uncovered or not by the guard investigation we only know what's what's in the public domain so in many ways we're no better than hurlers on the ditch here coming up just how serious is the threat to leo varadkar's political future At the Web Summit Tech Conference in Lisbon last November, four men discussed Varadkar's case on stage. One of the men was Michael Smith, the editor of Village, the magazine that originally broke the story. I'm a, I'm a lawyer by background and I thought it was important to frame the legal consequences what he, of, of what he'd done, that it was law-breaking. We put out a magazine that said Leo Lawbreaker and we emphasised that it was breach, a breach of the um, Official Secrets Act and of some of the Corruption Acts. Another panellist was the whistleblower Che Bowes. Bose was Village Magazine's source for the story. The longest, the longest criminal investigation yeah. in the history of the state, mm-hmm. essentially for a, for a sitting politician. Che Bose is a, an interesting character. He's a healthcare entrepreneur. Uh, originally, I think he served in the Defence Forces in the Medical Corps and then left and set up a company called Tara Healthcare, which he sold to the VHI. And latterly, he's set up various other different businesses, including one called Community Healthcare Ireland, which he was at one stage trying to convince the the HSE to back. Um, but he was basically uh, someone who was active in healthcare entrepreneurship, uh, a businessman. And through those activities, he made himself available as a consultant to the NAGP, the National Association of General Practitioners, to bring it all the way back to the start, who were eventually the recipients of the leaked document from uh, Leo Varadkar. And that's how he came into contact with Matthew O'Toole. That's how he got access to all these uh, these text messages um, showing that the leak had occurred, but also further characterising uh, Matthew O'Toole's relationship with Leo Varadkar uh, and other senior people in Fine Gael, which he screenshotted, leaked and formed the core of the original Village article and several uh, subsequent articles that were published detailing them. When you find that the Prime Minister isn't following the rules, uh, you know, that's really disturbing. And it was disturbing for us. And we thought we have to tell the story. I mean, how does the Web Summit Chief Executive Paddy Cosgrave fit into all of this? So from what we uh, know, Paddy Cosgrave introduced Che Bose to an organization called Whistleblowers Aid and also latterly to, to Village Magazine. And uh, Village Magazine also said that Cosgrave provided sh- strategic advice on uh, the article after it was published. So effectively the kind of publicity around the article. What you have done, Shay in particular, has taken incredible courage. And I'd like to ask Yellow Slide, all three, everybody to give them a huge round of applause for what they've achieved. Cosgrave has been a, a vocal uh, and public supporter of Bose, of Village and its editor Michael Smith throughout this and also a, a constant critic of the political mainstream, whether Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael or indeed uh, other mainstream political parties, but also in particular Leo Varadkar. He's also, interestingly, a one-time opponent of Matthew O'Toole in a high court defamation case, which uh, was settled um, in, in the early days of the pandemic after comments that uh, Paddy Cosgrave made on, made on Twitter. So he's kind of interspersed through the story at different, different levels. Uh, those are false allegations. Uh, they're allegations made by political opponents um, who uh, are somewhat obsessed by me, despise my party, and are increasingly vocal supporters of another party. Um, Do we know who he was talking about there? 
I don't think it's entirely clear. You know, I don't know exactly who he was suggesting, but it is kind of one of the uh, one of the main strands of the Varadkar defense here that, you know, mm. there is no substance to the allegations of criminality around what he did and that this is a politically motivated uh, or personally motivated assault on him, um, which is, I suppose, in some ways he would say that, wouldn't he? Like looking at it in a, kind of in a broader sense, what has this whole affair done to Leo Varadkar's standing within Fine Gael? So it's an interesting question. I think that it has undeniably weakened him, but it hasn't weakened him to the point where his leadership has ever really been called into immediate question. I think that for the time being, uh, he was successful in kind of building a politically defensible position despite, you know, this this remarkable threat that he faced. But obviously all these things are politically contingent on what happens next. Mm. If this investigation is still ongoing, or even in a worst case scenario for Leo Varadkar, if he's being charged, could he still become Taoiseach? I'll take the second one first. Um, and I'll go back to the article that myself and Cormac McQuinn wrote in March of last year. Um, there were plenty of people within Fine Gael who were willing to say on background, i.e. unattributable, that if Varadkar were to be charged arising from this, then his political career would be over. And there were a, a larger number of people who uh, weren't willing to answer that question on or off the record or on background or to dissemble in some way or to dodge or to avoid the question, which leads me to believe that, you know, there, there there's a large constituency of people out there who believe that were he to be charged he would effectively run out of road and in the first instance there would a question would arise for him as to whether he felt he could continue in his in his uh in his role as leader of Fine Gael and whichever office he were to occupy at the time and you know if he weren't uh or if he if he if he felt that he that he could continue you know I think that there is a not there's there's a there's a non-zero chance that he would face opposition from within and from within other government parties as well the question as to whether it will affect the rotating position of Taoiseach, I think, is is one that's more interesting because as we've outlined at length now, you know, the investigation has been going on for so long that that is something that is looming into view. And mm. I think that that's something that's clearly playing on the mind of Varadkar and his legal team as well, because there was a story in the Sunday Independent not too long ago pointing out that he had been writing to the Gardaí, or rather his legal team had been writing to the Gardaí looking for updates on it. Now, he denied, obviously, that that was him putting pressure on it, but I think it does show that, you know, they, they being Varadkar's legal team and I suppose the wider Fine Gael apparatus, they want a line drawn under this sooner rather than later, no matter which way it goes, because that open question as to whether someone who is facing the potential of criminal charges and is under active investigation can hold the officer Taoiseach is a difficult one. It's a tricky one. And it's not one that can be solely confined to Fine Gael. I mean, you know, if he were to be charged, I think in, in the first instance, it's more a question for Fine Gael. But if, if he's in this limbo still, it's a question for the other government parties. And then it becomes a really complex, um, political dynamic to handle that, that, that further muddies the waters around what is a new process, the handover of the Taoiseach's chair. There will be other things going on politically at that time as well. There'll likely be a cabinet reshuffle. So, you know, whether the political system, in addition to going through all these kind of threshold issues, is strong enough, whether the coalition is strong enough to sustain all those different competing pressures, I think is an open question. Whether Fianna Fáil would kick out, whether indeed the Green Party, who have 
hitherto step back from the, 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 the role which is traditionally assigned to the smallest of coalition parties, that of kind of moral guardian of the larger partners, whether they would actually tolerate this or whether they'd feel, look, this is something that we, that we have to address, we have to engage with at the time, and whether any backbenchers would follow the leadership on this. They're all re- really complex moving parts, you know, so I think it's a, it's, it's, it's very much in the realm of a, unknown unknown and potentially a massive challenge for Varadkar and the political system writ large. And of course, we're 10 months away from that arguably combustible moment. Now, as we come closer to December 15th, will the Gardaí be under more pressure to come down one way or another, make a decision one way or another, or else they would be accused of maybe interfering with the normal political processes of this country? I think they will. And I think that you... You raise an interesting point because it's not as if, you know, everyone has until December 15th to sort this out. This will become more pressing the closer we get to it. And um, all those different moving parts uh, will start to interact with, you know, a greater fury as we move through the summer, particularly in the absence of, you know, like, let's say, let's hope that COVID remains in abeyance, um, you know, the political system and the news and media system needs big things to latch onto. And the longer there's an open question over this, the bigger the story becomes. And Jack, I suspect you're too young to remember Alf- Albert Reynolds's brief tenure as Taoiseach. But after he resigned, he famously said that he'd been forced to resign uh, because of the little things. The quote is, it's the little things that trip you up. Do you reckon this might be one of the little things that could trip up Leo Varadkar? I don't. It's certainly not a little thing. I mean, like there was a, a Financial Times piece published this week, kind of parsing the the politics, the current political moment in in Ireland, and you know, it was one of the two or three scandals or controversies that were were cited by the international press when they look at Ireland. You know, so I think that you can't dismiss it as a little thing, even though uh, Fine Gael may, may want to do so, uh, or a politically trumped or motivated charge that has been made. Uh, I think it is it is a big thing. And I think it's a big thing, not only because of the kind of, you know, narrow facts of the case itself, or what happens or what doesn't, but because it kind of plays into wider themes that are existent, not only within Irish politics, but within European and global politics more generally. It's become a kind of proxy battle, especially on, on social media for, you know, this idea that political insiders and political elites benefit from their position, that they corruptly abuse them and, and they provide fav- favours for their friends. And, you know, I think that's why this is a story also of wider political import, because it does have an influence on how people perceive politics uh, and, you know, ultimately their voting actions will follow from that. Jack Horgan-Jones as ever, thank you very much for talking to us. Thanks, Connor. That's it for today. This podcast was produced by Declan Conlon and Suzanne Brennan. In the News will be back on Wednesday. <laughs>